Good morning. My name is Steve Flora, and I would like to welcome you to online service sermon number two, March 29th. Today I want to talk about facing calamity. An outline is available online if you go to www.chewelaefree.org. Let me spell that for you. Chewela, C-H-E-W-E-L-A-H-E. FREE.org. You can download an outline. There are also some meditation, discussion questions if you'd like. So before we begin, let's pray. Lord, we just turn to you. We come to you in this calamity. Our hearts are raw. We're afraid. We don't know what's going to happen, Lord. We're worried. We may even be angry. Lord, we may be having stress over being all by ourselves or stress with family, but I pray, Lord, you can break through all of that. And with your spirit, would you speak to our hearts and open up what you want us to learn from your word as we look into the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week, where I am, we were told to shelter at home to protect our physical health from the coronavirus. But I want to ask this morning, what about our mental health? What's the effect of social distancing on loneliness in an extended catastrophic event, especially if you are all by yourself? Now, some have called this calamity of the coronavirus unprecedented, but this isn't the first time that pandemic has come upon the world and they've had to face it. A hundred years ago, as I mentioned last week, the Spanish flu killed more people worldwide than those who were killed in World War I. A more recent catastrophic event that changed the course of things in the world was the Great Depression in the 1930s. So people have faced calamity of various types before, and they have been forced to adapt. This is no exception. But in our postmodern post-technological world, we're not post-technological, we're highly technological, we're not accustomed to not being able to handle things. We think with our technology, what is there that we can't conquer? But now we're facing something much bigger than our abilities and technologies. And so we come and we look into the scripture in biblical times, they often faced calamity, wars and famines and pestilence. Those, those were constant threats. People, they had to survive in their agrarian culture from harvest to harvest. And if you would store food, you took the risk of pests and rot, perhaps destroying it. So before modern times, the people just had to learn, how do we adjust to a disrupted life? And they learned to adapt. We struggle with that. So how did they handle constant uncertainty? How did they handle the vulnerability that being in that kind of a, a life depending on rain and sun and, and no floods and no fires and all of the pests that could come? How did they handle it? So I want to look into the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's a little tiny book toward the end of the Old Testament. And Habakkuk had a conversation with God that was very interesting. So the scene is about 2,600 years ago, around 605 BC. There was a good king in Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel. The King Josiah 
and he had reformed and done a lot of turning the country around spiritually, but he died in battle. And it was only a few years later that the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, slid into moral decline under evil King Jehoiakim. So let's look in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. So if you read with me Habakkuk 1, starting with verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. That sound familiar? Sound like something maybe we've experienced? Strife, conflict, destruction, violence. So Habakkuk questions why God tolerates this evil. He knows God could intervene. He knows God could do something, but he hasn't. So Habakkuk asks what we would ask, why? Just think back a month or so ago, our nation was further polarized over the impeachment. People on both sides were pointing fingers and accusing, and we wanted somebody to blame. We like blame. It makes us feel like we can define things. But this time, Habakkuk is coming to God. And so here's what God answers him in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Verse 7, they are a feared and dreaded people. So an impending Babylonian invasion gets Habakkuk's attention. God is going to disrupt their lives to challenge this embedded wickedness in their society. Now, you'd have to agree, the coronavirus certainly has our attention. A few weeks ago, we thought we were in control of our lives, and now we face health threats, economic threats, supply threats, social threats, leisure threats, travel threats. Most of us are stuck alone to face what's buried down deep in, in our hearts as our schedules and our agendas have been disrupted. And sometimes that's the worst part of all, is facing what's buried in our soul when we have time to stop and reflect. And how do we distract ourselves? Well, we don't. So uncertainty reigns supreme for who knows how long. How will we adapt? That's the question. While Habakkuk answers in verse 13 of chapter 1. He's stunned, and he responds to God. He just can't believe he's hearing this. God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So this surely wasn't the fix. Habakkuk was looking forward to all those social problems and the violence and the destruction. He wanted God to intervene in Israel a different way, not using someone or something worse because the cure seems worse than the disease now. Things are going from bad to worse. And 20 years later, Babylon did conquer and deport Judah. God did answer, just not in the way that was expected. 
I'd like to suggest to you the coronavirus is a modern Babylon silently invading our world with its own ruthless destruction. Like Habakkuk, we question God. Why have you allowed this to happen? Well, one answer, since the Garden of Eden, we have asked God to leave us alone. And then when he does, we get mad and we blame him. I think a better question would be this. What does God want to teach us? See, that question applies to our world. It applies to our nation. And it applies to us as individuals. God disrupts us because of what we have allowed to capture us. God uses trials and sufferings to disrupt, to pry our hearts open. Even Jesus had to learn from suffering, it says in Hebrews 5, 8. So the first point on your outline that you can download is number one, recognize that calamity is God's tool to shape us. As we're recognizing calamity, we see it's God's tool to shape us. Let me give you an illustration. A man was walking along the Dead Sea in, in Jordan, Israel area, and he slipped into deep water. And because he didn't know how to swim, he panicked and he thrashed all around until he was completely exhausted. And so he cried out to God as he waited to drown. But as he relaxed, he began to float. You see, the Dead Sea is so full of salt and minerals that if you lie still, you will float. I can testify, having been in the Dead Sea, you float. You can't sink down even if you want to. It's a lot like the Great Salt Lake in Utah. But this man only needed to relax and trust the buoyancy of the water. So let me ask you this morning, are you thrashing around in your life right now because life is upended? You will only exhaust yourself and you'll get nowhere. But if you seek the all-powerful, all-loving God, he will hold you up. So how does God want to use this corona calamity to shape your perspective in life? I want you to think about that. You can even write an answer on your outline. How does God want to use the coronavirus calamity to shape your perspective on life? So that's our first point. Recognizing calamity is God's tool to shape us. Chapter 2, now we hear God's evaluation. We'll skip through different verses throughout the whole book. Chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 4 says, as God tells you what he thinks of Babylon, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So God says that Babylon is puffed up, which literally meant swollen with evil. Their desires are twisted and unstable, literally, is what that, that idea of swollen with evil means. It means they focus only on themselves. They care only for their own interests. Well, does that happen today? Well, we've seen from this crisis in recent days, self-centered people have hoarded supplies and so others don't have enough. People have price gouged trying to resell toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and different things. And then there have actually been scammers out there who have terrified people, threatened people to get money. And it just reveals some of their true nature. We see humanity at its worst 
And sometimes we also see humanity at its best. That's where we want to go. In contrast, here's the righteous. It says, in contrast to this puffed up, arrogant, it's all about me kind of person, is the righteous shall live by faith. Now we hear that word faith, and we think, well, that I just have to believe some facts are true. But just believing facts about Jesus isn't enough. Yes, you need facts, but you need you need more. You can believe something to be true with no commitment to that something. See, faith is relying on Jesus, not just believing things about him. It's relying on Jesus. It's living out your faith by standing firm in tough times, especially. Calamity reveals the genuineness of your faith. Think about that. Calamity reveals the genuineness of your faith. Let's skip down to verse 14 of Habakkuk chapter 2. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then verse 20, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So faith is something we live out. It's something that we rely on God. We rely on Jesus. It shows the genuineness of our faith. But it also quietly rests in who God is. Faith realizes that God's glory is all around if we will only pause to look for it. So faith also knows that God is in his holy temple. And that means now in the New Testament times, he lives inside the hearts of his followers. So now we are his holy temple. And so maybe there's times we just need to be silent and quiet and let God speak inside of his temple of our heart. So let me ask you, have you felt restless and dissatisfied in your life, lacking contentment maybe? And not just in the last few weeks, but the last few months, the last few years, last few decades. Do you ever wonder, is there something more? What am I missing? Has this global calamity undone you internally? Because I want to tell you, God is in his holy temple. His glory covers the earth. He is here. He has not left us alone. Here's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 and 27 says. Now he, that's God, has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Verse 27, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. You know what that is saying to us? Nothing is secure on earth. What cannot be shaken is God's kingdom, which it says in the very next verse. And God's kingdom for us is his identity, his purpose for us, and how we live that out. God is shaking the world right now, and he's saying, come to what's unshakable. Come to me. So are you willing to reassess your values, to turn to God and say, those values are being shaken right now, God. And maybe look at some of these things. Are you overly busy? Our individualism that, like the Babylonians, oh, it's about me and, and my ambitions and my progressing and, and my reputation and my possessions. How about consumerism? I just like to have more. I deserve more. We watch commercials on TV to convince us how much we need a certain thing. And we become consumers, even at church. 
especially at church. And materialism, we don't even realize how much we do have. And judgmentalism, and maybe ask yourself, am I oblivious to the rest of the world? Has the coronavirus started to help us to look around the world and see we are all one global village? It isn't just my little tribe right here where I am and my people who think like me and act like me and look like me. So ask yourself, what are my values? Maybe you are, are focused on financial security at the expense of, of living out faith in God because we may be in a place where you're going to have to now trust God to provide. Another question, are we addicted to social media? and media in general, so we don't have nourishing, deeper relationships. I was reading a guy describing an ice storm about uh, 15 years ago where they had no internet, no power, no nothing for eight days, and they got great times talking. Nobody could hold up their phone, nobody could get online. So maybe we are so addicted to social media, it's harmed our relationships and kept them from being nourishing and deeper. So number two on your outline, resting in God sustains us through calamity. So first, we're going to be at a place where we recognize that calamity is God's tool to shape us. And second, resting in God sustains us through calamity. A dad gave this illustration he learned from his four-year-old daughter. He says she's an agonizer. She agonizes over decisions, weighing her options, sometimes paralyzed by the fear of making the wrong choice. If she decides on juice instead of water for breakfast, she will come into the kitchen and say, I want juice, but, but I want water too. What if I have juice but get thirsty for water? But juice is so sweet and yummy. What should I do? She has a choice to make. Her little four-year-old stomach can't take both a big glass of water and a big glass of juice. So there she is, he says, agonizing. The dad goes on and makes this application. He says, it's how I come to Jesus, clutching whatever I think I have, my righteousness and my things. And I ask Jesus, Lord, I want more of you. But my heart flip-flops to go after what I think will fill me satisfy me, prove I am somebody. I clutch my reputation, my talents, my possessions. But he says, here's the painful truth. I cannot be filled with Jesus when I won't empty out everything else. So life's disruptions is God's tool right now to empty us and free us so we will look at what really matters in life. Are you willing to do that? You see, this whole crisis, this calamity could take us to a new place. It could give us time to tune into God to learn what the faith life truly is and how do we live trusting and relying and silently listening for God to encourage us and direct us and guide us. So let me ask you this. When this calamity is over, do you want to go back to how things were? Is it possible to move to a higher and greater future and not return to where we were? A better future with Jesus on the other side of this calamity? Well, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 3 for our last point, our third one, verse 16, Habakkuk 3. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered 
at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now notice verse 18, yet with all of this stuff, with all of this calamity, I will rejoice in the Lord and will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk anticipates the coming calamity. See, the main crops for their survival, remember it's an agrarian culture, they lived on figs and grapes and olives and, of course, different types of grain and sheep and cattle. It wasn't like they could go down to the supermarket or go to a food bank to get what they needed if that ran out, if there was a famine. Crop failure meant hunger and sometimes starvation with a resulting emptiness and despair. See, it reminds me of a much lesser intense example than what Habakkuk went through. But when I was a single student in, in seminary a long time ago, my school and my living expenses far exceeded my income. When I looked at it on paper, I didn't see how I could do it. Yet at the end of that first year of seminary, somehow I had enough to pay all my bills with a little left over. Each year for the five years I was in seminary, it was the same. No matter how much or how little I made working, I always had the same amount left over. And that for me became a beginning faith lesson that I would need to face many other types of emptiness in life, including the emptiness now. So, how do you respond to calamity? How do you look when it looks like everything is going away and evaporating, or you fear it is? Habakkuk says, I rejoice in the Lord. This rejoice meant originally to circle around, to dance in an expressive joy. And so when we are empty, God himself is our joy because we are his. Can you imagine Habakkuk's facing what could be, you know, starvation? And he's saying, but I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So how can you rejoice in God during this time? Verse 19, our last verse of Habakkuk 3. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. So that expression, he makes my feet like a deer. It pictures stability and a rocky path. Habakkuk envisions God setting him in a place of stability in the midst of calamity. He can have stability. Just imagine. God can also give us stability like the feet of a deer so we can have a good firm footing, but we can move on to a greater future with Jesus. So our third point, rejoicing in God helps us move forward. So we're recognizing calamity is God's tool. We're going to rest in God and that will sustain us through calamity. And now we're rejoicing in God to help us move forward into that future on the other side or during this calamity. So do you trust God? Do you trust in him to do only what he can do? Could this calamity lead us to a higher 
and greater future where we know are no longer controlled by our life agenda, but instead we embrace what God wants to do with us. Many have prayed for repentance for our country for years. Could this be one of God's steps in answering that prayer? Maybe it isn't what we expected. Maybe it's not the answer or the solution you could imagine. But here God has the whole world in this calamity. And may we give God our attention and listen to what he wants to tell us. Let me close with some of our reactions and God's promises and give a contrast. I have several of these. They are on your outline on the second page so that you don't have to scramble to write them down. So you say it's impossible God says, all things are possible. You say, I'm too tired. God says, I will give you rest. You say, nobody really loves me. God says, I love you. You say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient. You say, I can't figure it out. God says, I will direct your steps. You say, I can't do it. God says, I can do all things. You say, I'm not able. God says, I am able. You say, I'm not worth it. God says, you are my adopted heir. You say, I can't manage. God says, I will supply all your needs. You say, I'm afraid. God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. You say, I am worried and frustrated. God says, cast all your cares on me. You say, I don't have enough faith. God says, I will give you faith as a gift. You say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I will give you wisdom. You say, I feel all alone. God says, I will never leave you. All of these promises are on your outline with the scriptures in which those promises are given. Let's close in prayer. Lord, help us to know that as we face calamity, this isn't something that the first generation in the world right now is experiencing. It's something that has been going on since the beginning of time. And so God, you have been there all along through all those other calamities and you have brought people through those times, but you wanna shape our hearts. You wanna draw us to you so we can live a life of faith, not a self-centered life not a life that's all about pushing ourselves forward. And so God, may we evaluate what you want to do, what you want to change in our value system, in our perspective on how we look at things. And God, may we come out the other side of this as people who are embracing your future, a better and a greater future with Jesus on the other side. So Lord, may we rejoice in you even when it's hard May we find that comfort and that day-to-day -day living through this situation with your joy filling our hearts. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless.